0: What's up, friends and family? It's time for another episode of Hype is My Superpower. I'm one of your hosts, Steve Storm, in Brooklyn, New York. And joining me via the miracles of modern technology, it's my good buddy, Will Freeland. Will, what's good?
1: What's up, man? Um, Chilling. Uh, Last night was my final shift at uh, my night job at the restaurant that I was working at. Awesome, awesome. Thank you. So uh, by this time next week, I will be in full-on streamer mode um <laughs> nice i will be a twitch streamer in less than a week i did stream a little bit before just before covid hit i did like three streams of which you were an active participant of so thank you of course looking forward to getting back in it since the lockdown i've been watching a lot of streamers <laughs> uh, and so it'll be uh exciting to get back in that. I'm 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 looking forward to it. It's going to be good
0: times. Yeah, I mean, I think one of the best things that a streamer can have going for them is a strong magnetic engaging personality and you've got that in spades so Thanks, <laughs> of course dude why do you think i want to start a podcast with you yeah right <laughs> five <35 laughs> years of friendships Pff, come on no nah. i'm just riding off your coattails here yeah <laughs> this is,
1: fucking, this is how we, get hype. we get hype it's our fucking it's our superpower man <laughs>
0: Nice. Yeah. I'm doing all right as well. Um, It's been it's been a tough week for focus for me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. ADHD has been has been rough this week. You know, when you have like a normal amount of work to do at work. And it takes twice or three times long as you feel like it ought to, because you can't just focus on the thing and do the thing. And, and yeah, then that's frustrating. same thing for editing a podcast and then same thing for prepping a podcast. And it's just like, man, <laughs> I wish I had done two or three times as many things as I did this week. And instead I spent so much time just being distracted and, and, you know, doing dumb things on my computer or on the internet. But that's what Tell it is. Down Wikipedia link rabbit holes. Well, that part was prep, <laughs> <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> and you're awesome. going to get the full brunt of that today. <laughs> Speaking of, we've got a pretty big show because I went deep on this chapter of Nomon. Very historical, lots of research tangents, things to go into. Will, you've got three books? I've got three books for you, if I remember correctly. You've got Spider Gwen. Or Ghost Spider as she goes. Mm-hmm. You've got Amazing Spider-Man Volume 10, Return of Green Goblin. And uh-huh. you've got Planet Hulk Volume 8. Not Planet Hulk. Or not Hulk. Planet Hulk. Immortal Hulk.
1: Definitely Immortal Hulk. But that was I misspoke. Book, that was book number four that I was debating on reading. Um, oh, okay. For- for earlier today, because yeah. it would have been a rush, and I love the Mortal Hulk so much that I wanted to take <laughs> my time with it. You gotta
0: space that shit out.
1: <laughs> yeah. So that's the first book I'm reading next
0: week, and then yeah, the last one was uh, Falcon and the Winter Soldier, right? Like one shot, right? But uh, why don't you start wherever you feel like starting? I'm going to
1: go with mid tier, low tier, top tier. And on a my order. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Awesome. Uh, so, first off, we're going to do Ghost Spider Volume
0: 2. Okay. Um, now uh, I know where the other two are going <laughs> to. Yep.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, Ghost Spider, uh, this is called Party People. Okay. Uh, it's very interesting. So, the main takeaway from Volume 1 was that. Uh, she's now going. She's an ESU student, college student in six one six. She being um, Gwen Stacy. Gwen Stacy. She is Ghost Spider. Gwen Stacy from a different reality. Yeah. Are in our personal reality, we she's been referred to as Spider Gwen because right. there's so many spiders and it's easy to just <laughs> referred to as Spider Did, Gwen.
0: Didn't if I'm remembering correctly, she is going to ESU because of a scholarship fund for alternate reality transplants set up by Tony Stark.
1: Yes, so. That's adorable. Uh, And this is the the coolest thing. So Tony Stark has a scholarship set up for alternate reality transplants, also um, off-planet transplants. Of course. Uh, So aliens can attend ESU (laughs) should they want. Um, It's just that kind of place. Exactly. So, yeah. So she goes by Ghost Spider now. In her reality, she used to be Spider Woman, and there's already two other Spider Women in 616. (laughs) Uh, So if she's going to be a returning character in 616, she's got to have her own name. Yeah. she goes by Ghost Spider now. Her costume is her Earth's version of the symbiote costume. She's from Earth 65. Okay. Um, the symbiote on her world is like a bunch of spiders that like melt together. Interesting. To make, yeah. To okay. make her suit and like change into different outfits and stuff.
0: And you get to obviate all of that crap, the symbiote crap about Knoll and yeah. Okay. Exactly.
1: Cool. So it's um it is it's cool. So like basically when you see like a full body shot, it's liquidy like Symbian. like your typical symbiote yeah. look is. But every once in a while it'll show like up close, like on her shoulder or something, and there'll be like a couple spiders crawling around. Kind oh, of cool. Uh or when she's sleeping, there'll be like a couple spiders like on the bed. Like it's it's kind of a cool aesthetic that she's got going on. Huh. Um, but that's her costume because she lost. She lost her powers and then um her world's Matt Murdock is the head of the hand and um basically gave her the symbiote and some like shots that would give her powers back and then all of other stuff. So sure. She's she's had a pretty storied history in her own world. Yeah. Okay. Um, cool. Because people love Gwen Stacy, and so they want to see more of her. Sure. In this volume, oh gosh, one more thing in the in the past. Uh <laughs> Uh, we have been introduced to Earth-65's Reed Richards. Okay. He's he's like a young kid. He's like 13 or 14. Oh. He's black, and there's no Fantastic Four within their world. Okay. But to keep with the trend of Reed Richards' is he is, <laughs> you know, he's a genius. He's a tech guy.
0: And yeah. so... Not a member of the Council of Reeds.
1: Not a member of the Council of Reeds, But uh, basically, when... They introduced him when her uh, dimension hopping wristwatch was broken. And so okay. he took a look at it. And so he is aware that there are other dimensions. Okay. And realistically, other Reeds, other Gwen Stacy's, yada, yada, yada. In this volume, we get introduced to Earth 65's Sue and Johnny Storm. And they, in this world, are kind of like your their social media pop icons that your
0: kardashians like interesting they, yeah they're that they're like fits really media well for for johnny anyway and yeah yeah i can see a writing of our friend stew the, the... <laughs>
1: <laughs> objectively the two of them are very attractive people Yes, they're 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 straight cookie cutter Aryan race, blonde, (laughs) blue eyes, perfect white skin. (laughs) Like they're incredibly attractive people uh, just on paper. And so they are super social media influencers. Basically, um, their dad was well off and then he got involved with like mob or gang or whatever and then he got killed and so the mom just leaned into giving them a social media influence and personality so they could live off of that and still live this lavish life that they had before their dad passed. Not a big deal. So anyway, yeah. uh, so they're doing – so Sue and Johnny are off doing photo shoots in random, like, travel places, and they have all these contracts, yada, yada. And then five years ago, they get invited to Latveria to go do a shoot there, and then they disappeared, and it became this, huh. like, national – the international headline of, okay. you know, social media teens – disappear after mysterious this that and the other thing in the area so Gwen Stacy's dad Captain George Stacy is still alive in this reality and uh, he's still a police officer and all of a sudden the two of them Sue and Johnny show up in the middle of New York with Supposedly no memory of what happened, and also it's it's just like cold case reopen kind of thing. They get back, the world is relieved. It kind of just follows through that while they are doing that side story, while we have a little bit of Gwen checking in with the band that she's in. She's in a band with like Mary Jane, Gloria, Mm -hmm. other big side female character names from uh <laughs> from 616 they're all in a their high school buddies yeah. they're all in a band together gwen is the drummer for the band so it's like it's like kind of following her life her hopping over to esu to go to some classes pete checks in with her and is like hey just want to let you know about this law that happened and so this is happening around outlawed around that same time time frame oh Um, sure yeah he's just like hey so you know heroes under 21 can't really go be heroes unless they're sponsored by an adult she gets pissed that this is even a thing and it's just kind of it's mind-blowing to her because on earth 65 there's like no heroes Mm. like she is new york's protector because there literally are just no other really um superheroes there yeah. So that's odd. And then we get back to sixty-five, and we see that Sue and Johnny have powers now. Johnny's huh. got his Human Torch powers. Sue has her invisibility powers. She's huh. got the like she can make the invisible discs and all that yeah, other sort of yeah, stuff. Yeah. All the all the typical. Basically, cookie cutter, exactly what they are in, in 616. Huh. They use their social media to hit up Ghost Spider. And they're like, hey, let's do a team up. It'd be super fun. And then <laughs> so they do a team up. They, they bust some drug um, smuggling ring. They meet up again. And this is the end of the last issue. They meet up again. They're like, hey, so we need you to like stop new york doesn't need three heroes they can have us since gwen wears a mask they're like we can doctor any audio over this if we want and so they used that team up and some doctored footage to basically blackmail her into saying that she was part of the drug wing and who are they going to believe some convicted felon because she went to jail before some convicted felon, or they're going to believe us, we have a social media following, like, you need to go. Interesting. <laughs> um, okay. It's very interesting. So while they're doing that revelation, we find out that Dr. Doom in Latveria is the one that gave them their powers. They got trained up on how to use their powers. And as soon as they felt comfortable with where they were on their abilities, Sue killed Doom. Oh, And yeah, she killed Dr. Doom, threw his armor on, and continued to lead Latveria in the guise of Dr. Doom. And then they're like, okay, good. Yeah. And then so they come back, and because they hear about Ghost Spider, and they come back to New York, and they're like, we're going to run New York. We're going to be heroes. Like, Johnny has this fantasy about wanting to be a hero, and, and Sue's just like, okay, well, let's live it. So she wants to kill... Ghost Spider, but Johnny's like, no, give her a chance. She's a hero too. Like, we can just convince her to stop. And it's 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 crazy because Sue Storm in Six One Six, we are com- always reminded that Sue Storm is the most powerful member of the Fantastic Four, hands down. Regardless, of however you use her abilities, she is the most powerful member. I, I'm sure there are some Fantastic Four fanboys. I would say <laughs> that she's one of the most powerful yeah. uh, heroes on earth. Yeah. But always, it's always been said, most powerful number of Fantastic Four. So yep. we have this like evil, mean <laughs> <sea> <laughs> storm on Earth-65 and b- willing to blackmail because Johnny was like, no, let's not kill her. Let's just like shove her off. Mm. And so it ends with Gwen talking with her dad about what the situation is and then leaving a voicemail for Mary Jane and her friends of just like, hey, this is what's going on. I gotta go. So she's hopping off to another dimension. Don't know what dimension she's running to. I assume she's coming over to 616. She's basically saying goodbye. I'll be back. But this is what's going on. Sue and Johnny... Want to be heroes for New York. I assume it's going to be fine, but I'll be back later. And it's just, it's very interesting to me because I really like Fantastic Four, yeah. uh, thanks to Hickman. <laughs> of course. Um, they sometimes get a bad break because Fox owned Fantastic Four for the longest time. And so they just didn't get a lot of stories told.
0: Both they got bad film adaptations and Marvel sidelined them within the comics because yes. they didn't have the rights. Yeah, which is outrageous, but I agree. Uh,
1: and it's easy to like write them off as like, well, they're just spending all this time in a different reality anyway, so it's fine. But it's <laughs> just like, man, but it is it is fun to have to have another take on them. Oh, and also while all this is happening, Reed Richards of the of sixteen ten Ultimate Universe, the Maker, he's keeping an eye on all this. And like
0: watching it go down. So huh. we'll see if he gets involved. Cool. Um, yeah. So it was it's, it was interesting, it wasn't it's amazing, but always it was terrifying expanding. that he that 1610 Reed Richards is around, just his presence yeah. in general is yeah. just always menacing and terrifying. Yeah. Like Man, he I, is I love that Reed Richards. He's, he's so honestly like. One of the better Marvel villains, period, like really quickly.
1: Yeah. A terrible story about how he became evil. Sure. However, having him evil is yeah. so incredible. Yeah. 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 <laughs> um, I also really like this Reed Richards anatomically speaking, because he's just kind of walking liquid. Ultimate Fantastic Four was introduced was kind of explained as like the four elements. And so having him be a little more aqueous and like he doesn't have any internal organs. I don't know if, if six one six Reed has internal yeah. organs, or they never like bothered that. to really go into the deep yeah. biology. but of... so uh, <laughs> ultimate, yeah, exactly. So ultimate Sue is she's also a genius of in her own right. She's a yeah. biochemist. As soon as they all got their powers, she became super obsessed with scanning and uh, doing all the bio stuff. Yeah, Reed, Reed is very much the like invention and gadget
0: side theoretical whereas, physicist yeah where yeah.
1: sue ultimate sue is very much the um, bio side of things and that's why they met having that uh read um is super interesting when he turned evil when sue tried to stop him she yeah. created a bubble in his head and expanded it uh super large and he and he was just like did you just try to kill me yeah are you serious like yeah. oh it just that entire scene always stands out but like i don't know what would happen if he did that to our read because i don't know what his physiology is What like. is plasticity yeah yeah, yeah yeah and so i don't know what would happen but just imagining that for this read and the fact that he, this is the read that we're dealing with for the maker uh, uh and he's not something he's not someone you can just like crush or expand yeah <laughs> he's just, oh man he's so he's so interesting i i, I love it so much he mo- he uses his stretchiness way more than r reed does and and again he's more like liquid whereas i picture r reed as more like taffy rubber and- yeah. yeah like he's a lot more stretchy as yeah. opposed to like malleable super interesting to see uh where all this is gonna go mm-hmm. um i was happily surprised i should say reading ghost spider i was cool. expecting much it was it was fun to expand that that uh earth a little bit awesome very cool falcon and winter soldier falcon and Winter um, soldier not much to write home about okay uh, the, it, it it existed to introduce two new characters. Falcon in this is a military like guidance counselor on the side, very much like the Sam Wilson we have in the MCU. Right. Uh, which came out of nowhere, because I honestly don't believe Sam Wilson 616 has a background with the military.
0: <laughs> That's right. He's um, an ex-con, right?
1: He's ex-con. His dad is a minister, born and bred. I don't think he's got military. He's church, Okay. But but it's it's whatever. I mean, yeah. That that's MCU influence. And on top of that, this Bucky is the government can just call in favors for him because of his Winter Soldier past.
0: Interesting. Which it's, is this not is, a thing. This is six one six though.
1: This is 616. Okay. But like they're so like. Like in order to
0: make up for his, he he feels guilt in this story, just like he does in the MCU.
1: Well, it's more that the government holds it over him should they
0: need him to go do something for them. Oh, so it's like we would start a manhunt for you or we would pull you in.
1: Yeah, so he straight up just says, part of my conditional pardon for helping take down Hydra. So long as they hold my past activities as a Winter Soldier over my head, the government pretty much calls the shots. They Mm -hmm. tell me where to aim and I pull the trigger.
0: So he's still the Winter Soldier just for a different government.
1: Just for the American government, which is not him in 616 until now. Yeah. Yeah. Until this book. <laughs> yeah. Other influences from the MCU is the their kind of their banter uh back and forth, like all oh, the bands. Yeah. Bucky is not a wisecracky character. No, he doesn't speak much at all. Never has been. Now he is. <laughs> <laughs> and also like they have him say like sit down, as in like S-I-D-D-O-W-N. Okay, they're word.
0: giving him some sort of accent.
1: Yeah, which
0: uh-huh. Uh, which is odd but I guess um, if he's from like 1940s
1: yeah i guess uh so it's just kind of like it's like okay well there's there's more mcu influence but it's on a one shot i care even less <laughs> yeah they wrote a story that could bring them together within the first like three pages
0: uh-huh. um <laughs> so just trying to get like the the same sort of buddy like uh buddy movie chemistry like odd couple chemistry that they had yeah. that they were going for in the mc or the disney plus show
1: yes but they were okay. able to pull from their pasts in the comics a little bit more and i'll okay. talk about that in a second so falcon one of his group members has disappeared recently and okay. he's trying to figure out where she is where she's sure. spirited off to finds out that something, 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 something involved with the OFU, which is the Office of Federal Utilities. Not, oh, fuck you. <laughs> That's <laughs> how I read it. <laughs> but so the Office of Federal Utilities is on paper. It is a water management it oversees like water management.
0: Okay, interesting. but what it
1: actually is, they track terrorist training camps around the nation.
0: See, that's uh, that's that's disappointing to me because I feel like water management is interesting enough on its own. But that's just me being a nerd for this shit. I mean, it it is, but it's not interesting enough to
1: pull in the Winter Soldier and Falcon for this. I mean, <laughs> it's, it's just it's it's not. <laughs> Don't look at me like that. The, the water <laughs> management. Water management? Water like, management. I you okay, see them? I could see them getting in the way of like Namor and then having to bring in Steve because Namor is involved. So but okay. even
0: that's a stretch. This is just a private obsession, then. But, but like I'm really getting into like learning about large civic projects. Did you know that they're almost finished building a third? Water tunnel to bring water from. Uh, I've already lost our entire audience. Water from the upstate aquifer to New York City. That they built the first one in the 30s, or maybe even before then. I think it was. I think it was like lit- like the 1910s, like over a hundred years ago. They built this thing because you can't have a city without sewage. And drinking water for 8 million people, 8.5 million people, like that's such a huge task. It's insane. It's mind boggling. Uh And and so think of all the things you can do. I mean, (laughs) sure. Yeah. I mean, okay. And so there's this giant, the biggest capital project in New York City history is, is digging a third tunnel so that they can cut, they can repair and maintenance the first one because it hasn't been done ever uh-huh. in 90 years since it's been built or however long. That's fascinating. That is, fa- that is. That's. fat I'll an opportunity. It, I'll say for, it's interesting. That's an opportunity for superheroism. There could be all sorts of crazy <laughs> plots and shit going on in that tunnel as it's being built. And yeah. once again, so, I'm on okay. my own. I see. I see. <laughs> okay, so then you know you can get Bullman involved or something. I'm just saying the water is the next world resource that a world war is going to be fought over.
1: I'll give you that. <laughs> okay,
0: I'll, I'll fine. I'll go with that. Okay, but um. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. That's not what OFU does. <laughs>
1: Maybe there's another department that actually does water management. <laughs> uh, so the OFU hired, has Bucky as their like specialist to go and take out these training camps. And Falcon is trying to find his deserter and thinking that she's uh, going to one of these terrorist camps. And he's convinced that if he gets a chance to talk to her, he can set her straight. Oh, What is her name? Carly from
0: Falcon and Winter Soldier, right? The Disney sure, Disney. of course. Because uh. <laughs> so. why, why, why have a tie-in comic if you're not going to tell the exact same story as as the media you're adapting?
1: Uh-huh. <laughs> um, <laughs> so we get introduced to this kid called the Natural, okay, and we get introduced to Veronica Eden. Veronica Eden is Bucky's primary handler from OFU and the natural we get introduced to him he is very young he's like 16 or 17 or something he idolizes falcon and bucky because he idolizes captain america they have both been captain america Captain's America in in the comics. Yeah. Uh, Most recently, Sam has been Captain America. He was Captain America back in, like, 2004 after Civil War. Sam is not Captain
0: America anymore?
1: No. He dropped the shield, and he has a black and red uh, Falcon costume now. But he only dropped – he only gave up the shield within our time, maybe, like, two and a half years ago. As uh – Tana nehisi Coates' run ended? Yeah, pretty much. Okay. Uh, and he went over to... Back to being uh, Falcon. Ta-Nehisi Coates wrote Steve, Steve Rogers' oh. uh, Captain America. Oh, okay. Yeah. But Steve, he started Steve's taking the shield back up story. The Natural is an insane fighter... He's, like, amazing hand-to-hand. Hand. We don't know why. He's just, again, he's
0: he's natural. So, like, sure. he just... And by insane, really you mean, good. like, amazingly good and not, like, criminally insane or something?
1: Not... criminally insane okay
0: but But he's 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 suffering from
1: severe mental illnesses he's he's interesting i don't think he was given enough time to really figure out what they want to do with him because he's willingly working for hydra but he he says this is a different hydra
0: Mm. And
1: he knows that Captain America follows the rules, but he also questions the rules. And so right. he takes every assignment with a grain of salt to keep a knot like maybe I can stop this or whatever. Like right. he has he wants to be a good guy. Okay. But he wants to work for Hydra because he thinks that the new Hydra is going to be different. Huh. The reason why there is room for a new Hydra is because in Punisher, Baron Zemo was killed. Okay. <laughs> Only to find out that Baron Zemo wasn't killed. He, <laughs> with Zemo being killed, quote unquote, there's two players who are trying to take over, become the next next Hydra Supreme. Okay. We have a rival and we have Zemo's protege. Come to find out, there is no Zemo's protege. It is Zemo. Of um, course. And because Punisher yeah. cut his hand off, and so Punisher used that, and then Ghost, he uh, Zemo hired Ghost to make it look like he died. Oh, uh, okay. So Punisher did, on paper, seem to kill Zemo, but he's not actually dead. So now it's Zemo against this rival. And the rival turns out to be Veronica Eden, who was the handler at OFU. She was using OFU to find the best and the brightest recruits
0: for her new Hydra.
1: So she's vying to be Hydra Supreme. Uh, Zemo's like, no, I'm doing this Hydra thing.
0: So you also, just like in Disney+, Plus, you also have Zemo being a main part of this Falcon and Winter Soldier story.
1: And very much uh, a whole, like, you can go with the evil you know because I'm going to be a slow burn for Hydra. Gotcha. Okay. or because it's uh, Zemo tells him that the new Hydra Supreme, before we find out who it is, they if they become the Hydra Supreme, they're going to announce Hydra is still alive to the world by blowing up the government. So, like, you can, <laughs> you
0: know, just that one government that you can blow up.
1: Yeah. So go with the evil, the quote unquote evil, you know, because I'm going to be a slow burn. I will, I'm going to build our ranks in the shadows. And when the time is right, I will yeah. come out or go with the evil you don't, who is the new Hydra Supreme. And they're going to be kind of extreme. And so he puts himself in the middle and more and more Disney plus influences. That's pretty much it. Uh, oh, also, um, the Naturals' parents are like, hardcore Captain America fans their names are Bert and Gertie um, okay and they call their son junior we don't know his real name we don't know their last names okay but his name is okay. junior
0: bert junior
1: perhaps i'd assume they are straight like they they wear captain america clothes their okay. house is filled with
0: captain america
1: memorabilia
0: interesting um, it's weird to see marvel fandom happening within in universe yeah so like they
1: open the door in captain america gear oh, okay <laughs> their living room is like even the furniture is like red yeah. white, and blue yeah yeah all, all right. of their like coffee cups are captain america right like, it's ridiculous okay um, but they talk about their son with a lot of pride. He seems like he's kind of a quote unquote lost soul. And the kid makes his own, like Captain America get up to, cause he wants, he wants to just, he wants to be like, he wants to be a Captain America or a okay. Captain America sidekick. It ends with no named characters dying and uh-huh. Veronica Eden is stopped and Zemo gets away and the natural is chilling. We don't know what they're going to do with them, but they've been introduced and something they okay. can use later. So it was it, was, it was interesting. It wasn't amazing, but it happened. Sure. <laughs> um, onto the main course. Onto the main course. Amazing Spider-Man Volume 10 by Nick Spencer called Green Goblin Returns. In Volume 9, we had Sin Eater going on a rampage and going around stealing stealing powers of people that he kills and inspiring a mob. to basically go around do the same thing. And yeah. it starts off with him rallying the troops to assault, to storm uh, Ravencroft. Ravencroft. Because Sin Eater's current target is Norman Osborn, Green Goblin.
0: Right, and he's being directed by...
1: Kindred, Kindred, who is this demon. He's got centipedes. Don't know anything about him, but that's what's going on. It basically starts with the assault on Ravencroft, and we have Pete, not there yet, struggling with, what do I do? Do Do I stop Sin Eater before he kills another person? Yeah. Or do I let him take out... Literally, my arch nemesis, (laughs) Norman Osborn. Because of Norman Osborn and the Green Goblin, Gwen Stacy is dead. Harry Osborn is dead. Other countless tragic things literally surrounding Spider-Man are all because of our buddy Norman Osborn. So... Do I let it happen, and then do I stop Sunita? Where do you draw the line? And yeah. so he goes to Miles, and he's like, "Yeah, I'm not sure what to do, man." Yeah. And Miles tells him about his Peter Parker that he literally, Miles literally watched Ultimate Peter Parker get killed by Ultimate Green Goblin oh. in front of his face. And that was one of the things that inspired him to become Spider-Man because we didn't have one anymore. Yada, yada. Right. Uh, he goes to Gwen, Earth-65, Ghost Spider-Gwen. Sure. Ghost Spider-Gwen, yeah. And he's
0: like, you know, that's, like... That's a cool way to utilize the uh, the spider the roster of spider heroes.
1: Yeah. He's like, hey, you know, Gwen, I know you're not my Gwen, but, like, you're yeah. the closest thing I'm going to get. You know, this is the man who killed lit, you. Who killed my Gwen. And <laughs> yeah. I have this opportunity to fulfill the promise that i made on that bridge yeah uh, which was like I'll, I'll get you for this or i'll kill you or something yeah. like that in his rage and like so gwen kind of talks about like her perspective and she's given this opportunity to be like i i don't know your gwen but if she's anything like me she's not somebody's side character she yeah. has she's her own character she's her own woman yeah she would not want you to kill anybody in her name. So he's having a tough time. And then while he's pondering to himself, Julia Carpenter shows up. Julia Carpenter is Mm -hmm. the current Madam Web. For those that grew up watching... The 90s animated Spider-Man. Madame Web was that old lady in that weird spider gown that sat on a chair with a web behind it. And she was all talking about the web of Destiny and all this craziness. Years ago, she passed passed on the clairvoyant web of Destiny stuff to Julia Carpenter, who is one of the Spider-Women. There's Jessica Drew, Spider-Woman, and Julia Carpenter, Spider-Woman. Julia Carpenter is now Madame Web.
0: Jessica she's Drew always is
1: still Spider-Man,
0: Spider-Man. Julia Carpenter's always been the less interesting, less interesting than Jessica Drew, I know. who has trouble <laughs> ha, who has trouble getting consistent publication as it is. So, <laughs> if, <laughs> yeah, if you find something else for for Julia Carpenter to do, basically. And,
1: so uh she shows up and she's like, "Listen, Peter, I know you. I know the web of destiny. I yeah. know that you're struggling, but I will tell you this." Norman will kill again. There, there is no question about it. Yeah. Let him get killed by Sin Eater. Wow. Let him be cleansed by Sin Eater. The web demands it, kind of a thing. Like, yeah. But I know you are you and you're gonna try to stop him. But Norman will kill again. Wow. There's there's no question. Interesting. And and he's like, ah, because Peter is Peter, he goes in and tries to save Norman at Ravencroft. That's the first like two issues. Yep. While that's going on, Julia then gathers the rest of the 616 spiders to figure out what they're going to do and how they're going to do it. So she gathers Aranya, who is now Spider-Woman. When yep. Julia Carpenter became Madame Webb, oh web, she gave her costume to Aranya. Aranya is, her name is Anya Corazon. She has these, like, spiders. She had this carapace that gave her some spider powers in the first fight with the inheritors back in spider-verse her carapace got ripped off trauma and then spider abilities and then uh, because she didn't have that anymore julia gave her a uh, spider woman costume so we have two spider women still okay. um so she gathers <laughs> it's, a, it's a problem not solved <laughs> no problem is very much not solved oh so we have arania spider woman we have jessica drew spider woman we have silk her name is Cindy Moon. She yeah. was bitten by the same spider as Peter Parker, which makes 616 a special universe because there's supposed to only be one spider totem, but there are two spider totems in this
0: uh, universe. Anyway, Depending on how much you want to care about totems in yes. general.
1: She shoots her webbing from her fingertips. That's kind of her other... She's got spider sense also, but she that's kind of her like... Uh, difference. So we got Silk, we have Ghost Spider, and we have Miles Spider Spider Man. And they're talking about, okay, how are we going to do this? They all had a very different prophetic dream of Norman Osborn killing Spider Man. Killing mm. Gwen Stacy's dream that she had was. Norman killing him at the Brooklyn Bridge, which is where um, 616 Gwen died. Silk saw him being killed at ESU. Uh, Miles saw him being killed in Queens, which is where Ultimate Peter died. And Jessica Drew saw him getting killed at Avengers Mansion because they were both Avengers at the same time. um, Interesting. Julia Carpenter had a dream, but it was Kindred killing Pete. So they're like, okay, we all agree we're going to let Sin kill Norman, and then we will stop them. So if Pete is going to get in there and try to get in that way, we need to stop Peter. Wow. So. Okay. We need to stop Spider-Man. There's a riot going on in Ravencroft. There's Always all, this, all this, all this, all this, all the Sin followers are showing up right in front of the door. Sin like, oh, I promised you guys something, didn't I? And he's like, touch me and I'll give you guys the power. So they've all become empowered. They're all crazy. They have blowing eyes. Turns out through a scene that we find out they're immortal. Of course. Some of them, some of them got Good. blown up. And their arms are, like, regrowing and reattaching. So, like, Creepy. they are straight-up immortal, and they are storming Ravencroft. We see in a flashback that Martin Lee came to Sin to ask him to cleanse him of his sins. Martin Lee is Mr. Negative. So he has this dual personality where he's Martin Lee, good man benefactor and then mr negative he's got black skin white hair he kind of yeah. glows and he has this negative like a negative
0: touch. image of a person like a photo yeah. negative
1: yes yeah. he has this he has a negative touch that he inverts your personality and your inhibitions okay. so a good person would turn evil yada yada Kind of like the Axis story. Right. <laughs> Storyline. Yep. So he can do that with his touch. So Sin Eater shoots him and takes his ability. So he has his power now. Awesome. So now, so Sin Eater has his immortal followers. He's going through and instead of killing some of the guards because they don't have sin, he's just uh, Mr. Negative in flipping them. Huh. And now guards are shooting other guards. Like it's chaos at ravencroft right now and then we finally get to see who norman was keeping in that giant vault that was just like exploding just like boom 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 turns out that was juggernaut juggernaut was being kept at ravencroft the last
0: juggernaut doesn't strike me as somebody that sin eater can just walk up to and kill with a shotgun no well he does <laughs> <laughs> I stand corrected, I
1: suppose. <laughs> yeah. So Sin eater, there you go. Shoots it's him a right hell of the a chest. shotgun. Oh yeah, I mean it's not a regular shotgun, obviously. Well. <laughs> but um, yeah, so Sin eater shoots Juggernaut and gets. I mean, because we know all the story of Juggernaut, we're gonna say that he gets the blessing of Sidorak because right. he yeah, yeah, gets yeah. yoked. He gets super big. <laughs> but what's funny is when he becomes the juggernaut sin eater he yeah. loses his neck <laughs> <laughs> he gets super ripped and takes on the shape of juggernaut
0: but like Wait, takes on flesh. the shape of juggernaut oh gross takes on the shape of his helmet but it's his actual head yes. cuz that's not what juggernaut looks like underneath his helmet no that's King disgusting Marco does
1: not look like that <laughs> so this is the new sin eater and as soon as that happened i was like oh, okay like this is going to be something that we use against him because he's no longer his controlled small form. He's now this right. hulking juggernaut. He, he's he, gonna lean into this. this he's is, got uh,
0: he's he's got the Bruce Wayne at the start of Dark Knight problem where he can his his physiology. Yes. Exactly. In this case, it's his actual neck and not his suit, but he can't turn his head. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. And and like this is kind of the classic downfall of the bad guy
0: right whenever, I mean, they're, got whenever they're cool and cal- and yeah whenever did, they're cold yeah. and
1: calculating they have to get a new power that they get drunk off of and yeah. that's how they that's how they go down right if they kept if they stayed in their lane right. they would have won but yep. he decided to go get juggernauts both. you could set your watch to it yep Exactly. And so it's just like, okay, well, this is going to screw him over somehow. Um, (laughs) By the time that happens, Pete has already gotten to Norman, and he's trying to save him. Uh, He's running through Ravencroft with him, holding him, up, dodging mob after mob after mob. And he noticed that Norman keeps on trying to slink away somewhere. And Pete's like, the fuck are you doing? He's like, oh, yeah, um... Trying to go to this safe place where you and, keep your
0: secret turned back into green goblin shit.
1: Hey, it's like you know comics. So <laughs> <laughs> it turns out he's trying to get to his old cell, his original cell that he was trapped in or put in yeah. uh, when he first got brought to Ravencroft. And Pete's like, Oh, here's nostalgia. And then he's like, Yep. And then all of a sudden the what the walls go down and he has this whole secret lab in here. And Pete's like, the what? What is what's going on here? He's looking at all these papers. And he sees like schematics. He sees that there is like he's building this giant EMP bomb thing down in the in like the nether basement. And Norman's like, "What? Like
0: (laughs) (laughs) this is all this is all fine. This is there's nothing suspicious about it." Seriously,
1: Ravencroft is mine, and I will do what I need to. Anyway, yeah. And so he's like, "Listen, if we're gonna get out of here, and." Oh, oh, they check security. They see that Juggernaut is out because Norman was expecting to be able to use Juggernaut to take everyone out. And now he sees Juggernaut's out and he sees that Sin Eater has taken Juggernaut. He's like, well, (laughs) we've only got one option. Yeah. He looks over and there's the closet full of Green Goblin stuff and the Goblin serum. So current Norman Osborn does not have the Goblin serum. It has been... So uh, it got cleansed from him back oh gosh some storyline <laughs> yeah, yeah using using nanobots to get rid of it and then there's a storyline where he gets the carnage symbiote and he becomes the red goblin good and god okay he asks the carnage symbiote to deactivate all of the nanobots in the system so now he goes crazy again so now he's crazy green goblin with the carnage symbiote climax of that storyline he gets rid of the carnage symbiote but then absolute carnage happens and so Uh, Because he was a host to a symbiote, he he falls under Carnage's influence to help bring in Null. And because he had the Carnage symbiote, not just a symbiote, he takes on... He starts believing that he is Cletus Cassidy, and it's a whole other thing. And okay. so he takes on this whole carnage personality. But anyway, the point is, at the end of that, he gets quote unquote cured of his Green Goblin serum again. He still believes he's Cletus Cassidy. He's locked up in Ravencroft again. The next time we see him is when he's appointed to being the warden at uh, Ravencroft. What could so, possibly go wrong? Right. And uh, he's appointed by Mayor Wilson Fisk. So, it's OK, like, mm, <laughs> um, <laughs> a little bit of
0: self-dealing uh, there. OK, OK. Yeah.
1: And so as of right now, he's cured of goblin serum, but he seems to be functioning anyway. Yeah. In this, he takes the goblin serum again becomes green goblin and he and pete have to legitimately have to team up to get out of ravencroft and so and you know against pete's wishes yeah, yeah, yeah and yeah. then all of a sudden all of the followers stop and kneel in the hallway and they're like what's going on and what? that's when you that's when you see the joker not sin eater coming down the hall and they're like oh my god so now yeah. it's down to 2v1 spider-man's Punching him, doing everything he can. He's yeah. all he cares about is going after Norman Green Goblin, so on and so forth. Pete's like Norman. I know you. There's got to be another way out of here. Yeah, and he's like, yeah. Um, there's a service entrance for. It. There's like a water entrance down below. I guess we could go there. <laughs> no, I go get water my... management. Eh? Oh my god. <laughs> 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 How dare you! <laughs> and so he gets down there. Oh, Green Goblin knows that Pete is Spider Man because Jameson let it slip on accident. Okay. But anyway, because he keeps on calling him Parker, and that's why. In case anyone reads this and only this and not any other Spider Man <laughs> story,
0: <laughs>
1: okay. <laughs> but they they basically tear out the floor to get away from Juggernaut Sin eater. Fall down. Pete gets covered by some rubble. There's this like quick little heart-to-heart moment with Norman and Pete. Norman kind of opens up to him. I'm just going to read something, which I really yeah, yeah. do. But so he says, do you remember the first time we met Peter? I true, I mean, truly met face-to-face. I bared my soul to you, confessed my darkest secrets. And there's a flashback picture of him in the Green Goblin costume, holding the mask, yelling at Pete in his Spider-Man suit with unmasked. It's a, it's a classic scene from yeah. years and years and years ago. He says, do you remember what you did in return? You rejected me. I always hated you for that. And Pete says, I was a kid, Norman, I was scared. And he says, so was I. You can't imagine what it was like in those early days. The voices, the side effects of the serum. I was losing control. I was terrified. And then I met you. You wore a mask like me. We both played the Joker while we danced in the sky. I thought you might understand me, that I might not have to be alone with this burden inside me. I had reached out in my own twisted way. I'll admit it was aggressive. That was <laughs> <laughs> that was the nature of my illness. But that rejection, it re- it broke me. My mind shattered. I suffered a fit of amnesia, but my memories returned, oh, how I hated you. And not just for that. After you spurned me, after you bested me in battle, as my lab went up in flames, you saved me. And don't you know, and you don't know how angry that made me, Peter, that you had hurt me so deeply, and yet somehow I had to live in your debt. Well, as of today, consider that debt paid. And he lifts up the rubble to
0: let Peter out. That's awesome. That's this, a really cool scene. Yeah. I yes. love it when when they're able to recontextualize, you know, old old scenes like that in order to add texture to characters in ways that, you know, storytelling conventions really didn't give room for back then. Yeah.
1: Like he was covered by this rubble.
0: Wow. Okay. There's no getting out. And, yeah.
1: And yeah, that was like just in the middle of literally the climax, semi-climax of the story. Like well, that is the climax. Of, of this volume, but it's not the climax of the story with, with Kindred, is, sure, is yeah. really what I'm going for. Okay, yeah, yeah. Um, and just like to take three pages to really dive into Norman Osborne, Peter Parker stuff. That well, was,
0: that's what I'm saying. Like, yeah, that's a, no, that's a way yeah. bigger part of telling a Spider Man story than you know, some random story with Sin Eater and Kindred. You're you're dealing with a fundamental aspect of, you know, your main character and his biggest antagonist. Like, yeah. this is, like, it's not an action scene, but this is the climax. That's yeah. awesome.
1: Yeah. It, it was so great. And then uh, you have... You have Sunneter chasing them with his whirlwind powers, so thank God they remember <laughs> that he has other powers. Because, like, that's always the other downfall. Yeah, cause, like, you, you get the... the- the bigger power, and and they he stop just, using the... stop using all the good stuff. Yeah, so he gets down there. They have one last little fight. They do a team up of a whole bunch of a whole like eight pumpkin bombs. Peter webs them together and slingshots them at him. Sweet at Juggernaut, Juggernaut Sin Eater. When they get another moment, Norman's like, "How did you ever defeat Juggernaut in the first place?" Um, Because they have fought before, and he's like, "Well, it wasn't easy." And for- and unfortunately, we don't. I don't see any wet concrete or around because literally that's how he beat him yeah this is like the 70s at this point yeah he gets juggernaut stuck in like some freshly poured concrete um like just to his knees yeah and that stopped him (laughs) but (laughs) but he's like oh wait a second the emp's compression generator uh norman's like what are you talking about like blacking out the city isn't going to stop Juggernaut. He's like, no, 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 no. What? Not just the city. What if we point it at the ground under our feet? And he's like, ah, uh we direct the force of it to create a tremor. And with any real tremor comes liquefaction. And so oh. they're They're going to use. They're going to rejigger the. EMP, to shoot into the ground, basically liquefy the ground and concrete that is under them. Norman's like, that would take some very precise calculations in a very narrow window of time. So he was like, our Pete's like, can you do it? It's like, I built the damn thing, didn't I? (laughs) Pete, just being Pete, uh, he has a little thought box now and he's like, would you look at that? Spider-Man and Green Goblin working together using science to solve their challenges. Oh, Norman, what you could have been. It's like, ah,
0: Ah, because yeah.
1: Norman is—he doesn't get enough scientific genius credit because there are others that their entire because identity, there is, is there so many genius? damn
0: scientific
1: geniuses exactly. in Marvel. Yeah, yeah, just like inventors, like all yeah. so many of the hero, the tech heroes and tech villains are all self-made. Yeah. <laughs> so yep. when you have someone that is known for being crazy on a glider, even though. We never talk about the fact that he invented the pumpkin bombs. He invented the glider that yeah. there's all the other goblins use now. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. You know, his his genius just gets overshadowed by his character. But whatever. So it was just kind of it was fun to see. In one last ditch effort to buy Norman some time, he stops Sin eater and he's like, "Listen." I I I I know your story I know I failed you I'm so sorry I know that you're going for Green Goblin but all the bad that he's done those are because I didn't stop him the sin is mine
0: cleanse me instead That's a very Peter thing to say It is always huh. always deflecting responsibility onto himself I mean that's what that's one of the things that's so interesting to me about Peter Parker is that his mythos is with great power comes great responsibility. He has middling power and yet wants all of the responsibility. Like yeah. he keeps pouring the responsibility onto himself even when like come on like that doesn't belong yeah. there.
1: Yeah, I mean that's that's what's for for a long time that has been the main conflict between him and his supporting cast. It's always his responsibility to take care of whatever's going on right. instead of sharing that responsibility, which he ends up having to 80% of the time. Yeah. <laughs> and he ends up having to not, uh, he relearns that uh, fact, but there are some things that he still keeps close to the chest. Yeah. like Dealing with Norman Osborne. <laughs> right.
0: Sure. Yeah. yeah, yeah.
1: Um, the last few years of stories have shown Peter's growth in reaching out and coordinating with others, Mm -hmm. but solving a problem and taking on responsibility are two very separate things in his mind.
0: Yeah. Or solving a problem and then like learning a lesson to solve a problem versus learning. I mean, I I feel like this is true in general in life, like learning a lesson to solve an immediate problem versus learning a lesson that you like carry with you as a general part of your life. Like those are those are those can be very different processes. Yes, absolutely.
1: So he uh, he offers. To be cleansed instead, which gives Sin Eater pause, uh, which gives Norman enough time to set everything up. But Sin Eater fights it because he says, No, it's not my will, but his be done. Because right. kin- this Kindred's. is Kindred's yeah. calling this entire time. Right. Which but-
0: kind of puts the a, an interesting wrinkle into the sort of ethics and philosophy of Sin Eater purging sins. It's like, well, where do right. sins actually lie? Like, what does it mean to to judge somebody in the first place?
1: Mm-hmm. And then machine goes off Needs a little bit of time. And so yeah. there's literally fighting with the juggernaut holding a shotgun, trying to aim it at one person, and Pete legitimately not being strong enough to turn his arm away. Yeah. <laughs> like he's trying to hold his arm up, and like he can feel his bones starting to snap because oh, he's just God. trying to. F- literally just keep an arm away that's from, brutal. Shoot, from shooting someone that's like 10 feet away. Oh my God. And then eventually the ground starts to give, starts to become liquefied. He's keeping Sin down and Sin like, are you are you seriously going to sacrifice yourself for him? Yeah. And he's like, I mean, it's not for him. It's for everyone that I'm saving. It's for everyone that I love. Absolutely. Yeah. But he's like, you know what? <laughs> he's kind of having this like thought process in his head. Yeah. he's like... Yeah, but maybe for another day. So he shoots out a web to try to, to, to save himself. And then the web gets cut. And you see Norman on his glider just, like, looking down with this, like, yes, you're going to die face. Yeah. Um, and he's like, Norman, are you serious? We Come on, man. <laughs> we had a moment. We had a deal. Yeah. And he's like, did we? Um, I said, my debt is paid. <laughs> uh-huh. You can die, buddy. <laughs> um <laughs> And then, so he physically starts pushing Pete back down into the liquid. Wow. Um, and cool. then the spiders show up. They save Pete. They knock Norman out, or not out, but they knock him down. All the generator is going, they're like, hey, realistically, we've only got a couple minutes. Yeah. <laughs> we got to go. So yeah. they all pile into the submarine that is in the water thing. Things have calmed down. All the spiders of Norman are in this little pod. Yeah. And... Norman is right behind Ghost Spider. And he's like, Did I hear them call you Gwen? Oh my god. <laughs> and he's like, it is. You are you are Gwen, aren't you? Not my Gwen, because I killed her but you're a Gwen. So what is it? Are you from another, pl- are you from another reality? Are you a clone? What's your story? Wow, <laughs> <And shit>. <laughs> <laughs> he's like, you're not my Gwenny, are you? And he's like, uh-huh. I'm not your issue. goes, I'm not your anything. He's like, well, no, you're not but give it time. <laughs> oh. <laughs> your oh, original, your original and I, I'm sure, you know, we had quite a lot of history, but I preferred to focus on the happier times. And it's only focused on his smile. Like the only picture in that cell is his smile. And then Pete loses his shit. He's like, Hey, get away from her. This, that, and the other thing. And fucking Norman, where's his quote? Where is his quote? It's so mean. There it is. <laughs> um, okay. So they have these back and forth. like, you leave her alone. And Gwen's like, hey, I can take care of myself. And Norman's like, yeah, let her be your own woman. Yada, yada, yada. Things are starting to calm down. Pete is starting to remember, like, anytime. Norman gets involved. People die. And, and you have the flash a flashback to his Gwen at a door. You have a flashback to Harry uh, on his deathbed. And you have a flashback to Flash Thompson's casket. Flash is dead, by the way. Okay, Norman, as the Red Goblin, killed him. And he's starting to lose it. And he punches the wall right next to Norman's head. Everyone's like, whoa, 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 whoa. Calm down. Calm down. And fucking Norman says... Uh yes, Peter, we wouldn't want you to snap, would we? And you're like, You son of a bitch. oh my How god, dare you! <laughs> yeah, uh, and so instead, Pete opens up the hatch and tosses him out into the water. They're like, What did you just do? And he says, He said, I made a different choice. Madam Webb is like, No, you didn't, but it's too late now. So you have the final page of Norman floating in the water, watching. The cat, the fucking pod go away. And then you have Sin Eater's hand out of the liquid. And that's the last we see. We don't, one can assume, but we don't know. We have to wait until next fucking volume. I'm so (laughs) upset. Um, But the last cell is Kindred standing at a gravestone. We don't know whose grave it is. He's in a cemetery. And also Kindred's got some maggot vibes now. (laughs) Just these centipedes. Like for the longest time, he was like bugs but right. by, with primarily centipedes, but now he's like just centipedes. Interesting. Okay. Um, he uses these centipedes to control people also. Uh-huh. Uh, he injected one into Norman. And that's how he that's how he controlled him for a little bit. And that's how Norman knows who Kindred is. Interesting. But yeah, so it's Kindred standing at a, a very specific grave. We don't know whose. And yeah, that was um that was that was wild. <laughs> awesome. There's some other like one shots from Free Comic Book Day, but they're just like side stories, not really worth talking about. But yeah, so I really loved the little, the like, the one on one with Norman and him, like, kind of just opening it up to Pete, because we never, we never get the like honest, "Quote unquote serious side of Norman these days." Totally,
0: yeah. So that it seems very, like a, nice. a a very unique kind of conversation. Like I don't know many times in comic book history where they would have had the opportunity to to have it out like that. Yeah,
1: absolutely. So that was that was it was such a fun read. I had such a good time reading it. That's um, awesome. So I guess nomon is gonna. Yeah. We are we are getting ready to blow my mind with Nomon.
0: Oh, man. Yeah. The real mind-blowing with Nomon is still a few chapters away. I'm just going to I'm gonna prep you now. There was one chapter where, when I read it, I was like, I need to talk to Will about this, but I'm going to need to talk to him about the rest of the book in order for this to make sense. Oh That's God. still a little bit away. <laughs> so this chapter, so just quick recap. So far, we've had chapters from Miliki Neath, the Inspector of the Witness, uh, which are in serif font and passages passages from uh, Diana Hunter's interrogation in sans serif font and then we also had a chapter from Constantine Kyriakos also in sans serif sans serif font implied to be part of the interrogation part of her memories that are unspooling which are now pl- being played out in Neith's mind Neith's mind cuz she has downloaded it all into her brain in this chapter titled Wooden Egg Lying spelled like lying like telling a lie it begins in sans serif font and i just want to read you know given given that history of what what serif and sans serif font mean chapter opens like this on the plain of erebus in the kingdom of hades close by the black and waterless river Styx, i dream a witch's dreams and found a hidden gnosis the knowledge and conversation of a demon It rose up out of the tunnels beneath the earth and spoke in my soul like the nighttime anticipation of death. It had the head of a man and the chest of a peacock, and its face was shrouded in shadows, shadows here where there is no sun, in this place that is named darkness. I realized I was not afraid because I knew its secret name. Magic is the invocation of names, just as miracles are acts of faith and technology is the application of mind to stone. The names of human persons are sacks to bind up the fragments of ourselves, but the names of the Janiya are instructions to the world and Janaya must heed them as water must heed the moon. So what the fuck does that mean? Yeah. So this, this is another brand new narrative character. Uh, <laughs> so Neith was, you know, Looking for a way, supposedly she just needed to wake wait out this narrative blockade. And then we'd get back to Diana Hunter's interrogation, right? So, but we're not at Diana Hunter, and we're not even still in Kyriakos. We're at a, we're in a third, <laughs> a new narrative character named Athenaeus spell. A-T-H-E-N-A-I with a uh, diuresis. It's two mm-hmm. dots on the top like an umlaut, but yeah. you know, called a diuresis. Uh, S. Athenais Carthagonensis, a.k.a. Athena of Carthage, basically. Or Athenais of Carthage, because she's from Carthage, and the last name is just the right. city she's from. The demon tells her that her son, Adeodatus, who died a few years back, has had his soul cut into five parts and this section is denying him rest in the afterlife. That's a whole lot at once, so let's take it one at a time. <laughs> uh, Carthage was a city on the Mediterranean Sea in North Africa in modern day Tunisia, and that's where this chapter takes place. Ancient Carthage was the center of a trade empire that controlled most of the Mediterranean at one point, but this chapter is set many centuries later after it's been conquered by Rome and incorporated into the Roman Empire. Roman Carthage was an important center of early Christianity, and this chapter takes place less than a century after Emperor Constantine made Christianity the official religion of the Roman Empire, which I mentioned a few pods ago. Uh, so the whole like canon and orthodoxy of Christianity is still a bit wiggly, and characters in this chapter discuss Christian Christianity intermixing with Greek, Roman, Egyptian mythology, and other, you know, spiritual traditions in a way that that would be you know, considered blasphemous today, but mm. it's just kind of like the, the cultural context of where they live and what they do. And as a point of reference, it was in Carthage in the year 397, just about exactly when this chapter takes place, that the Bible was codified and scholars came together to decide which texts made the cut into the official Christian canon and which ones didn't. Hmm. And we know that this chapter takes place around the year 397 because her son, Adeodatus, was a real historical person who died in uh, the year 388. And we know this because Athenias' baby daddy is also a real person, Augustine of Hippo, who at this point had been made the bishop of Hippo. Hippo is another city in North Africa, and that happened in the year 395. but. There's no mention in this chapter of the Visigoth sacking of Rome in the year 410, about which Augustine wrote extensively. So it was likely took place between 395 and 410.
1: Are you not projecting, but like, are you filling in, this is all research that you've done because yes. of, strictly because of the name that was been given, Athenaeus and Deodatus?
0: Not Athenaeus. So Athenaeus is a. Uh, as far as I can tell, there's no further historical records of Adeodatus's mother, including her name. So everything else about her is an invention of the author. Okay. Augustine, on the other hand, would it's be very much a person. Yeah, would be cano- canonized as Saint Augustine after his death. And if you remember. St. Augustine is one of the patron saints of Nicola, Nicolaus Magalos's order in the Constantine Kyriakos chapter. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Okay. And Augustine is a major, major saint. Maybe the most influential theologian in early Christianity who helped formulate Concepts like original sin and the concept of the Trinity. And wow. according to Augustine's written uh, written work, Confessions, he met a mother at the age of 17. They stayed in a committed relationship for 15 years. This is real life. However, Augustine's family wanted him to marry a person of his class and status, and eventually they arranged a marriage for him to this teenage heiress, Augustine and Adeodatus' baby mama were never married, despite 15 years of relationship because of this conflict and so family arranged this marriage with this teenage heiress and he basically got out of that by converting to christianity and becoming a catholic priest and then like the father of western christianity so that's a that's a hell of a dodge (laughs)
1: seriously wow all because he didn't want to get married to some other chick
0: right So, sorry for rambling about early Christian and Roman history. This is all very interesting to me. Athenaeus, named after Athena obviously, which continues the line of female characters in this book, being named after goddesses. We've got Meliki, we've got Neath, we've got Diana. There are a few historical figures named Athenaeus that I found on a quick search on Wikipedia. Doesn't look like any of them are strong parallels, but maybe there was a prophetess named Athenaeus in what would be present-day Turkey who claimed divine descent for Alexander the Great. And there's also Francoise Athenaeus. Athenaeus de Rucheschwart, Marquise of Montespan, who was a longtime mistress of King Louis XIV of France and mother of seven of his children, who was in her time called the true Queen of France. This Athenaeus <laughs> <laughs> is 42 years old, described as dark skinned, probably black. Again, similar to Hunter and Neath in that regard. She's an alchemist and a scholar. Basically, after getting dumped by Augustine and then Adeodata's is dying a couple years later, she's considered everything after that, that happened after that her afterlife. She says, a woman without her husband is a widow. A daughter without parents is an orphan. But there is no word for what I am, because it should not be. Or perhaps because it comes so often uh, to so many that it is unworthy of mention. He was my son. I need no word to frame what I am now. It is with me always. So I live my afterlife. I am serious. I read a great deal and I drink sparingly. I teach, I research, and I consult. I am paid well by my students who have fathomed the mystery that is Carthage and come to understand that they will need an actual education as as well as whatever else they find here. I conduct myself with a scholar's dignity and I shall experience a comfortable prime and a long and well-respected dotage. Uh, So yeah, she's an alchemist and alchemy in this chapter is Presented as essentially a practical discipline. It kind of mixes, you know, early understanding of chemistry, uh, whatever they gleaned at that point, you know, not knowing what a molecule is, multidisciplinary approach to spiritual and mystic traditions. She draws from Pythagoreanism, Neoplatonism, Hermeticism, Judaism, Christianity, Zoroastrianism, Mandaism. Orphic cultists, Greek, Roman, and Egyptian mythology, and more, more or less interchangeably, using whatever works because people just didn't know the natural world yet, and whatever you did learn was practically attributable to a spiritual understanding of the world because people understood the natural world is shaped by spiritual forces, not scientific concepts. So you just plug in whatever you know thing that you read, and if it works you keep going with it. So like, we know Pythagoras today as this mathematician, the Pythagorean formula and all that, but he was also an important and influential spiritual figure because when you discover that A squared plus B squared equals C squared, you basically discover a tiny piece of the true nature of the universe. You like discovered an aspect of God and people will listen to you about other shit that you think about how the universe works. And so even though Athenaeus sees alchemy as practical she also presents it outwards as this sort of pageantry or with this sort of pageantry of esotericism both to keep the air of mystery about her profession around and alive but also it's because it's what people expect from her if people are going to if she's going to have people take her seriously as an alchemist she has to put on airs of being you know lofty in in addition to being practical Mm -hmm. and uh i've got a quote on alchemy here she says i dealt with a plague last year a small demon inhabiting a well or perhaps it was just bad water and rats it hardly matters I used fire and salt in the prayer of John the Baptist, also called Johannes Fontis, who washes over springs and freshets. When I was a child, I learned the song of his severed head upon the water, and it is known to drive out the lesser beasts of Angra Mainyu. If one had such a thing, why not use it? At least, I never knew a plague... A plague made worse by holy songs. For the sake of argument, I also had them drive out the vermin, drain the whole cistern, and burn it dry, then rake out the ash and reline it. Fastly expensive, and there was a lot of grumbling. But do you know, one or the other did the trick. That's why my prices are at high these days. I actually get results. <laughs> so that's kind of, you know, the, the outlook towards alchemy here. There, there's another one that I, I like here. She says, perhaps God is an object with infinite, with an infinite number of faces, only limited by a few, which can be viewed from a single point, but with each of which may view us from all sides at once. This reminds me of the panopticon here. But anyway, that would sit well with the discipline of alchemy, in which almost everything is representative of something else, a cavalcade of masks behind masks, gods revealed in elements and geometry, and, uh, and geometry and gods less with less well with the holy father in rome no doubt but contrary to what he may believe god does not have to heed his opinion although suppose it would be polite to at least listen to it but i'll i'll get more into alchemy in a bit it also has a strong historical association in the real world has a strong historical association with notable women practitioners uh probably in part because traditional like spiritual roles and priesthood was denied to them so they had to do it in a more practical way just like You know, women women's arts are called crafts. Not they're they're not you know respectable, serious-minded artists. They're Mm -hmm. craftspeople. So. Anyway, the plot. <laughs> one more note about Athenaeus. Uh, her, her voice is pretty rough and tumble and coarse. In fact, kind of a lot in common with Diana Hunter's voice in that regard. And she actually even shares one phrase in common with Constantine's chapter. They both at one point exclaim to themselves, fucking tits of Zeus. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> so there you go. So in the plot. Back to that thing. Uh, <laughs>
1: so, in this story,
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, now that I've laid out all the context. Um, Athenaeus has this dream of a demon telling her that her soul's son has been quinsected. It says, five is a sacred number to the followers of Pythagoras. Two is a woman and three is man, thus, five is marriage. The number four, defining a triangle based pyramid, which is the simplest of three dimensional shapes, is their way of denoting space. But add four, but add to four a single unit, the one that is the beginning of everything, and you get five. Space and and divinity. Five is their great mystery because it de- denotes hieros gamos, the combination of the godhead and matter, whose product is mortality and the flow of time. Five is also the number of the secret places of, of the pentamycos, in which it is well known in this syncretic empire of Rome in Africa, that Jupiter Ahura Mazda conceal- concealed the seeds of a new creation in case Angra Menu should destroy what is. There are five books in the Torah, five fingers on the hand of Miriam. There are five elements and five wounds of Christ from which flow the five rivers in the kingdom of Hades and five bad angels that watch over them until at last they run into the lower ocean and rise again to the beginning. The goddesses slew five demons and wove their skins to make a cloak that turned all blades. Five becoming one, rivers becoming seas, time becoming God. Yeah, five is an important number in this book. (laughs) She's in this conversation with this demon and she demands to know how to heal uh, a Deodotus's quinsected soul. The demon says that healing is impossible, but you know, quinsecting his soul was also impossible in the first place. So yeah, good luck with that. And she later says, A Deodotus died in a wayside inn, and not all the noble metals nor fast horses, could have brought me there in time to hold his hand, nor save him, because if one might will an impossible, because if one might will one impossible thing, why not two or a multitude? Show me but once how to bend the laws of fate, and I will tie them in such knots as shall make your head spin. And out of this single wretched piece of twine, I will weave a paradise, bend the world back upon itself until it is truly glorious. And that word means once again, what it pretends. I just thought that was a cool passage. And Mm -hmm. just the in, in line with the doing of impossible things and how that's presented in this chapter. Finally, the demon says, Erebus will not abide this falsehood. And she makes a note to remember the name Erebus, which in Greek mythology is the primordial deity representing the personification of darkness. And also a region in the underworld where the dead go immediately after they die. And then... Also a god in magic. <laughs> that's Arabos, But yes. Oh, yeah fine Erebos the direct translation of uh, the direct like counterpart to Hades in Theros yeah anyway Athenaeus wakes up from her dream to a man putting a sack over her head picking her up and carrying her off and if you remember Constantine's chapter ended with him confronting his beloved Stella who was supposed to be dead and then a sack being pulled over his head so this is kind of picking up where that mm-hmm. left off in a in a similar in a strange sort of way Eventually, a person responsible for her abduction and then arrives. Uh, it's a priest of the Church of Peter the Fisherman, who she describes as almost absurdly tall and thin, with matching fingers and smells of the harbor side of fish guts and seagull shit. So she takes no. Uh, she's, she takes to calling him Father Fishy, even though he has a different. Real name that she knows. Or basically, she goes through her mental Rolodex of priests. And she's never met this guy, unfamiliar, but she goes through her mental Rolodex of priests in town who fit his description. And she can only think of one guy. Quote here: A pause for reflection and then certainty. This is called Kairos, the hanging instant in which all may be gained. Watch while I practice the black arts. Julius Marcus Cassius, you side note, you kidnapped me, dick face. I've been expecting you. It seems he believes me. Ooh, spooky. I've penetrated his disguise with my special uterus magic. Father Fishy looks as if he knew all along this was a bad idea. Meddling with alchemists always is. And girl alchemists are worse than all the others because they have internal pee parts. (laughs) So... She goes through sort of this process of actively trying to turn the power of the situation to herself, which kind of reminds me of Constantine's first conversation with Magalos, you know, kind of presenting himself as this last sinner in order to kind of get him his trust in order to get the account. It's sort of presenting yourself as knowing less or more than you do in a situation to gain sort of a tactical upper hand in a conversation. Mm -hmm. And I... I wouldn't point this out, except it seems to happen a lot in this book. And I don't know, just something worth that that I wanted to track. The problem is, eventually, this apoplectic Father Fishy reveals the reason he had her kidnapped. A high Roman political mucky muck named Cornelius Severus Scipio, whose house we're in, uh, who's cousin of the Pope and a drinking buddy of the Eastern Emperor. S- uh, Scipio is dead, apparently murdered inside the Chamber of Isis. Problem is... There ought to be no such thing as the chamber of Isis. In fact, Athenaeus made it up herself in an alchemic scroll named the Querendo Inveniatis. And if you remember it, that's the name of one of Diana Hunter's novels. The Querendo is a forgery that she secretly wrote. Uh, years ago as a high academic prank to discredit a guy she didn't like, but was instead discovered by a guy she did like, so she didn't have the heart to discredit him instead. And since then, it's become the center of a huge branch of alchemic studies. She described the chamber as a large, hollow, like egg-like object made of wood that acts as a bridge between the divine world and the temporal one in which special alchemic things can happen. So it's all a ruse, and yet... There's the chamber sitting there in the room with them. To quote its appearance here from without, the chamber, more commonly known as the chamber of Solomon, and Father Fishy can have a point in his favor for knowing better than to call that. The chamber is like a great wooden egg lying half sunk into the floor. It is segmented so that it can be taken apart for transport, but the joins are very fine indeed. You have to get within a hand span before you can see them without a lens. The wood is dark and old and dense. It must have been monstrous to work to this smoothness. There's no question what it is. It absolutely reeks of divinity, implausibly well-made, elegant, felicitous. You can recognize the products of miracle because they make the merely human feel awkward and crude. The thing is clearly miraculous. It's too brutally perfect and too gorgeous to be anything else. The room feels darker than it ought to with all these lamps, quieter than it should with all these people in it. The murals on the wall are washed out. Does it look like a breast to anyone else? My voice, harsh and stupid. Because it looks like a breast to me. I imagine that's the idea, of course. Fertility and fecundity and so on. But you've got it guarded by legionnaires, Julius Marcus. And sooner or later, one of them is going to hump it. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) And she starts, like, you know, teasing one of the soldiers, chosen at random, as sort of a baby face to cut the tension and lighten the mood and distract from her own terror at seeing the chamber in real life, this ruse that she thinks she made up herself. Pretty soon, like, she's just trying to cut the mood and cut the tension by getting the soldiers to... Occupy their own space in the room and and uh, you know soon enough they're uh, hanging out playing cards talking shit and so on and it kind of allows her to work a little more like with a little more clarity father fishy says that he and Scipio were in the chamber together for barely a minute which one of the legionnaires corroborates the chamber. So he would have been the only, like he looked away and he looked back and Scipio was dead. The chamber of Isis is housed on a platform in the middle of this room and has entered into from below using a little channel through the platform. So they go inside. And she describes the interior. Remember these descriptions and see if they sound like anyone familiar from this book, either already introduced or yet to come. <laughs> the <laughs> uh,
1: interior is going to sound like somebody?
0: It's not so much that the interior of the chamber looks like people, is that there are murals on the inside of the chamber. Okay. A cold whisper runs along my neck and arms, plucking my skin and raising the hairs. As I look around at this gorgeous, awful, enormous thing made in the image that I wrote down, drunk and stupid, there's one last horror to be swallowed down. The four cardinal souls are painted in perfect balance around the chamber. In the west is a prisoner held to held to a stone table by spider webs, and over that table stands the figure of an otherworldly jailer whose body is made entirely out of eyes. Does the captive flinch from that scrutiny or yearn from it? And which are we to identify as a friend? Perhaps they can no more be separated than Prometheus and his eagle. North is a satyr surrounded by gold coins, each picked out from the wood of the chamber in true gold, so that looking at him is vertiginous, the wall projecting back projecting itself and back and back into an endless dark. He stands on a pinnacle of emerald stone carved with nymphs and geometric signs above an ocean full of shadow. South is an Axumite saint, what the Greeks would call an Ethiopian, and although though they would call me the same. He walks through a burning city, and on his shoulders ride a boy and a girl. In his belt is tucked a painter's brush. If I had to trust any of them, it would be this one, though something in the single line of his mouth that it is drawn begs me not to. He has enough to carry already. I wonder if the maker of this thing put himself into the image. Painters are apt to do that in the quest of immortality. And then we come to the east panel, which is me. In the portrait, I'm younger and made a queen. Oh, balls, I think I'm supposed to be Tarset. I'll get to Tarset in a minute. Sorry, I skipped around here. And I stand in stark opposition to a spirit, an ugly thing that the artist has rendered in a succession of touches so that it is rising out of the landscape. Each stroke is barely more than an outline, a ripple in the paint, and yet together they produce a twisted, stork-legged shadow, which both reaches out to grasp me and recoils from my touch." the demon from my dream. And looking across the chamber, I can see, because this banquet would not be complete without one more course, the reflection of this image in the first panel. East and west are different, but the arrangement of pieces is the same. One reflects the other, or follows from it. In the conventional flow of time, east follows west. The sun rises and sets in that natural sequence. But in the chamber of Isis, time is said to be malleable, and the truth may be reversed. Clutched in the demon's grip, I make myself look again and closer. There, no, yes, there, no doubt. Anger flares in me, sharp and hot. The artist's brush has lingered over this to make it perfect. Clutched in the demon's grip, a Deodatus is an infant, and his skin is already marked with the meridians that carve his soul into five parts. That's weird. And again, yeah. remember the the chamber was supposed to be a place in which you make contact with the divine. You join
1: the, t- you, yeah, you join
0: earthly reality with temporal reality. Yeah, and and uh, specifically, like in the chamber, you know, time is said to be malleable, and the truth may be reversed. Uh, so, again, like. Regno Lernra all depends on the direction that you look at it, the back and forth of time and and so on. Also inside the chamber, <laughs> after she's done looking at the murals, Athenaeus finds the body of Scipio, finds that underneath its clothes, its clothes, it's cut into five parts, exactly like a Deodatus was in her dreams. There's also a mysterious brine around the corpse, like seawater, and the cuts in his body are impossibly clean. Like, no, it, you know, it, it. they were cut too cleanly to have been like, she's like, is it like a giant pair of scissors or something? Like, she can't think of anything that could have possibly cut a body that cleanly. There's also incidental damage to the chamber from his death. Uh, and the blood on the ground together leads her to believe that the killing happened inside. Quote here, Scipio's head hangs in the air. The blood is beautiful, like a wave breaking around stone. From all the corners of the chamber of Isis, the thing presses its way into the world, the uh, the way the face of the emperor is stamped on a coin. I cannot see it, but I know it's there. A glass flower growing towards me and through the air. It whispers like a lover, I am torn. (laughs) Yeah, so quinsecting, torn, torn no longer, trying to knit, you know, a deodatus back together, perhaps. She asks fishy straight up, if he killed Scipio and he sputters and says it's not possible. And she knows that would be impossible because come on, he can't quinsect somebody and and then like put his clothes back on, in especially not not this guy, and not in the time that it would take to when the the soldier guard legionary guy last saw Scipio alive and discovered the body. You know, she just flails around for another explanation. Maybe only the head is Scipio's and the rest is a planted body of someone else. So she has uh, Scipio's lover brought in and she's able to identify a birthmark on his shoulder and a love bite that she made herself. So, nope, it was him. Fishy gives his opinion that Scipio was hunted by a djinn. Mm. Let's get back to talking about the mystery of the chamber here real quick so according to her own lie inside the chamber and the things that it can do in this place angels can be birthed demons shattered and miracles made like loaves of bread from market with the right knowledge an alchemist working within the chamber might produce an elixir to offset age and return youth to one who drinks it transform sickness into abundance heal any injury, and even raise the dead. But the greatest gift of the chamber is the eternal alkahist, the universal solvent that will free any prisoner and dissolve not only so- all solid matter, but also oaths, curses, kingdoms, years, centuries, even damnation itself. In a very real sense, the alkahest is the power of God. Armed with it, one might undo the first sin and make the world a new heaven, pull down the sky, or seal the abyss forever and preserve what is from what is to come. The Alkahest is ink in which Isis writes the Book of Destiny. It is the tears that fell from the Virgin's eyes on the day of the crucifixion. Side note, the Alkahest is an actual concept from the real-world alchemic tradition and a fabled object in the alchemic community on the level of the more familiar Philosopher's well, Stone. Stone. Yeah, mm-hmm. from Harry Potter fame. But Oh my god, how dare you. <laughs> it, it was... Most popularized by Harry Potter. That's not up for debate. Come on. Uh, Most people know it from that. I know it from Full
1: Metal Alchemist, but
0: that's because I, I know what you am, do. Man. Yeah. Fine. Is is the, Al- <clears throat> is, the Al- is the Alkahest in Full Metal Alchemist? I'm curious about that.
1: Is it? Um, maybe. I mean, okay. that, that's got to be one of the only reasons why I would know it. Because I'm, <laughs> I'm familiar with the term Alkahest, and I don't know why.
0: <laughs> so, Fair enough. I'm gonna assume it's because of
1: male Alchemist.
0: <laughs> as far as I can tell, the chamber is an invention of this book. And the chamber, they they kind of go into the backstory a little bit. Oh, oh, wait, I've got that later in my notes. Never mind. <laughs> so on the one hand, she ought to be glad to see it because she'd do anything to have the power to bring her son back to life, and this is the object that could do that. But on the other hand it's not real. <laughs> like she made this up. Right. So well, she thinks she made she, it up. Exactly. So this dude. Okay. Sorry. I'm so sorry. Um, yeah. 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 Go ahead. The, no, I, I I'm, I'm talking fast on purpose here. So I, I enjoy being interrupted. This is, um, <laughs> did you ever watch galaxy quest? Oh
1: God. It's been so long. Right. But you're familiar with the like, um, premise, right? I don't remember it at all. Oh, I I only fucking... Alana just watched it this week. Uh But Galaxy Quest in the movie is a TV show very much like Star Trek. Right. And the actors, literally the only gigs they get these days are showing up as the characters from Galaxy Quest. Right. And they get recruited by aliens to save them from this like oppressive bad guy yeah uh, and the the historical logs of galaxy quest have been <laughs> transmitted into space right. and so they rebuild their starship to match the exact build and qualifications of the fictional one yeah. of the fictional one and so they they think that these are real historical documents yeah and so they go and recruit the actors to play as themselves in an actual Galaxy Quest ship yeah but in, and having literally just finished watching it yesterday um <laughs> i'd seen it before but like yeah we rewatched it i'm just getting real galaxy quest vibes <laughs> <laughs> of like hey there's this fake thing that i made to literally discredit someone but like yeah. all of a sudden years down the line oh hey here's the actual thing that you made up
0: uh, <laughs> yeah let's and let's use it as if it were real <laughs> totally Yes, crazy. Weird. Exact same vibes. I'm gonna have to rewatch that movie. That sounds fantastic, and I love paradox and and you know accidental hoax shit like this. So, Mm -hmm. so yeah. So you know, she has to wonder like, is this another prank? Is this some like personal or political scheme directed at her? No, she's not big enough profile. No, nobody would go through all this trouble just to do this for her. Is this a grand plot to murder Scipio in such an oblique way that no one would ever be expected of it? But like that's, you know, it, it's just everything is all the explanations are coming up empty. There's also another problem with the Alkahest as, you know, as conceived. And it's the problem that the chamber sort of puts to rest, which is if the Alkahest can dissolve anything and everything, then it's impossible to hold it in any sort of container. Like (laughs) it'll just dissolve the container and then Mm -hmm. it'll dissolve literally the entire world into a little puff of smoke. The scroll sort of that she forged solves that problem by putting it all on the chamber. The chamber is this object that she claims was owned by one of the wives of King Solomon named Tarset, who is the daughter of an Egyptian pharaoh, but the chamber has since been lost to history, yada, 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 so alchemic community can study the esoterica of the chamber and not have to focus on the actual actual practical problems of creating or containing the actual alkahest, and the whole academic circle jerk can just keep going on into perpetuity. And yet, Fishy demands... It's clear from her presence here, they want her to use the chamber, create the Alkahest, bring back Scipio. She's determined to bring back Adeodatus instead, if she's going to use it, might even be the same process. And she recalls, you know, once she kind dis- of realizes that this is where she's going and, and what the, the direction of this visit is. And she remembers a long passage from the scroll, the querendo, which I wanted to read in its entirety. There's a narrator that she you know is using for the purpose of of this scroll, an imagined narrator. She said, since it's fictional scroll, let's call the narrator Camilla and go over it again. Chapter three, which is the bit about spirits and titans. Into that place there also came the Janiah, the good and generous gods. And they are called Merids that came out of the ocean, and Ifrids that are of the fire. And for each element and place there is a jinn, and for each tone and texture and flavor of the earth also, and for the lands and kingdoms and beasts and forests. But they are not of many races, but only of one, and that is the race of the Janiah. They are also called the Hidden, because their footfall is the breath of the spider. And though they are giants, they yet walk unseen and they are all about you. And they also came to the chamber and sought its blessing. For to the Janiah, the Alkahest is as sunlight to a flower or water in the desert. And yet also it is their death should they resist it. And all these were the names and aspects that one who drinks the Alkahest shall know and shall speak and by them be obeyed, colon. The lawgiver came. That is called fire spine for the wings of flame upon his back by which he passes into every holt and redoubt, even into the palaces of kings and the vaults of merchants. And he is an inquisitor and maid of justice all along his arms. I don't know if we've come across the word fire spine yet in this book, but Mm -hmm. then this is the first mention. There also was the mother of owls and rivers, whose name is Lost, and all the wells were made clean and sweet, and all the books of the place fruited, and in that fruit was knowledge. And there was also that one of them that is called Agareus, who walks upon precious stones, and in his train was a great dragon of the ocean, and the people were filled with fear. But Agareus spoke, and it was called. And so too came Ogiosletus, and the eyes of the world were made full of light, And the birds sang, and the wind was glad. And also his sister, that cannot be denied, she also came, and her hounds beside her that do not relent. The whole of the Janiah were there like soldiers upon the marching field in their raiment and arms, and they swore that they would defend the chamber. Even Noman of the Thousand Eyes was there. That cannot be contained, and these were the judges of mankind. Even crabwise, Nomon—that is the thumb—and the others of the Janiya do not trust. Even Nomon so swore, and that was all. And laughing, Nomon was wise and spoke not the name of Firespine. And the others were also there, the numberless order of genia, et etc. <laughs> she kind of says it trails on from there. She says, if you took note of the colophon at the top, it was a rebus puzzle, and if you solved the rebus. Which you were all but told right out was what you were supposed to do because the title of the bloody document was Seek and Ye Shall Find. Again, it's kind of what Nomon means. And also, we've got this number puzzle at the very start of mm-hmm. this book. But to my knowledge, no one to this day ever has. It yielded a cryptographic key. And if you applied that key properly to the list, well, it spelled out the mighty arcane secret that Lucius Hortensis of Carthage, that's the guy that she was trying to discredit, the, guy, the colleague she didn't like for starting this whole ruse in the first place. Lucius Hortensis of Carthage has a penis shaped like a ram's horn and warts upon his tongue. I I have no idea if that is true. I never saw either of them. I just took offense and my creativity ran away with me. <laughs> <laughs> the longer she spends in and around the chamber, the more this impossible situation and how it coincides with her dream leads her to believe that the only answer is that it's all real. Quote This is not a mortal plot. What is done here grows from dragon's teeth, not seeds. And this place begins a true kairos in the instant before the coming of the wave for which the worlds make way. I am an alchemist. We live to make things explode, and even if we did not, there's really no other choice. I go to the chamber and I try to make the alkahest. She goes through this alchemic ritual, you know, br- blessing the space, and mixing components and reaches the point in the ritual where she has to produce a container for the alkahest. She says the ingredients are a door and the lock must be undone by the pain of a human soul. <laughs> She's, the true alkahest as i wrote it is drawn up out of these noble but mundane ingredients in similar fashion by a kind of necessity it is a piece of soul stuff not deriving from the matter and the crucible but permitted into the human world by their conjunction the ritual is not a prayer but a species of geometry which opens the doors of the universe to what lies outside it the ingredients are a door and the lock must be undone by the pain of the human soul yes i was maudlin drunk by this time and growing homeric soapy <laughs> let it be so this part is simple You hold your pain, all your sorrow, your sin, your self-despite and guilt, your shame, in your hand above the crucible, and let it call out in supplication to the raw blood of the divinity, and that blood will rise up towards you, and where it touches you, you are made whole and more. If you want to lift it to someone else, you must temper your pain and shape it as a cup. The only vessel that will contain the alkahest is the agony of the heart that calls it up. The process is one of self-sacrifice." With practice, I wrote, rather smugly, it seems to me now, you can control your own needs and meet the needs of others. So she recounts all of the pain she's ever felt in her life. Finishing with, I admit my greatest horror, that there is no goddess, no God, no Janiyah, and no afterlife. All there is, is rot, and no meaning to any of it, that I will never see my son again, and raised up into a new body and playing in the field forever. I hear a sob and know it from my own, quite absurdly, The crucible fills with light. Wow, interesting. And that's the end of the chapter. Oh, geez. Okay. (laughs) Rude. (laughs) Yeah. So like the Constantine chapter, it ends on a real cliffhanger. Random notes here that I wanted to pick back up. At the very end of her dream, she says, a shadow fell across us and the demon flinched as if it would roll itself up and disappear. I looked and I saw a huge shape blot out the darkness, sculling like a monstrous fish in an ocean far above my head. Oh, like so. a shark? Like a shark, perhaps? Hmm. <laughs> they mentioned the Persian Eternals again, which got brought up briefly in the Constantine Kyriakos chapter. Megalos was talking about sort of the role of the new Greece that he wants to build is Eternals where people are preceded by roles and individuality is somewhat dead because people embody the roles in which they're supposed to play in society. And that, that kind of gets brought up as a parallel for when she's talking about the Roman soldiers and how they're good at what they do because they treat everything you know, every minor invasion of Vandals and Goths as if it is Persian immortals themselves. A Deodatus... A little bit more about him. He was a young doctor or whatever passes for a doctor, a healer. His cause of death, he was traveling the countryside healing people, got called to somebody who passed a fever onto him, and he died quickly of fever in a town far away and was sent back to Athenaeus in a coffin filled with honey, which was used back then to preserve things. So we've had a little bit of imagery and symbolism of honey and bees before, and I wanted to bring that up. She also mentions the pentamycos a lot. I'll visit that more later. It's kind of a recurring theme or symbol in this. I wanted to close with talking the four cardinal souls painted within the chamber. First of all, just to remember, one of Diana Hunter's novels was called The Five Cardinals of Z. Cardinals mm. in that was spelled with a capital C, like Catholic like, cardinals. Like a title. Yeah yeah. yeah. yeah, like a title. But in this, it's lowercase, like the cardinal direction. In the West, because it's North, South, East, and West. So, in the West is a prisoner held to a stone table by spiderwebs. And over that table stands the figure of an otherworldly jailer whose body is made entirely out of eyes. Does the captive flinch from the scrutiny or yearn from it? And which are we to identify as a friend? Perhaps they can be no more separated than Prometheus and his eagle. Do we have
1: any description
0: of the prisoner? No, that's the least well described. Although, because this is to the east, or the, the, sorry, this, sorry, this is to the, to the west. west, and the one to the east is an Athenaeus, an and own. they're said to mirror each other. Potentially, somebody who looks somewhat like Athenaeus. This is the the part of this quote that I kind of brushed over there, but it it is useful, so I'll come back to it here. She says. When she's talking about the you know, the mirroring and the direction of travel, she says, so am I leaving behind the horrid captivity of spiders and eyes for dominion, or is that to be my fate? Is it going in the direction of east if to west? If it's going in the
1: direction of the sun, then it's her fate.
0: Right, but we're in the chamber of Isis where time is said to be malleable. Right. A jailer whose body is made entirely out of eyes strikes me immediately as the witness.
1: Okay, yeah, I was thinking the same thing. Cool. Well, I was,
0: yeah. I, I ended
1: up thinking of <laughs> thing with like, uh, cause you could do like the spider web being the actual worldwide web. Yeah. Uh, yeah, for sure. And being held
0: prisoner by your quote unquote social media presence. <laughs> <laughs> for example. Yeah. And the prisoner held to a stone table. It kind of reminds me a little bit of Diana Hunter's interrogation perhaps, mm. but it doesn't quite fit. Right. Cause it's like, it says, does the, captive flinch from that scrutiny or perhaps yearn from it there's nothing that i can really find that diana hunter yearns from that so maybe yeah i don't know and then north is a satyr surrounded by gold coins each picked out from the wood of the chamber in true gold so that looking at him is vertiginous yeah obviously right sorry Kyakos? yeah a satyr is a greek creature and surrounded by his gold, money <laughs> gold coins and and geometric signs and so on and an yeah, ocean I, above full uh, above an ocean full of shadow yeah yeah i didn't get to finish the note on
1: that one i just wrote down in the north it's a satyr surrounded by gold coins and then the note was standing and then you started talking about south and so i don't yeah. know i sorry. don't know what's going on with the satyr i don't remember what's going on with the satyr
0: oh yeah sorry Surrounded by gold coins, each picked out from the wood of the chamber and true gold, so that looking at him is vertiginous. It's it's real gold coins in the oh, like uh, embedded into the embedded chamber. into the in, into the chamber wall. Uh, yeah, real gold. So that looking at him is vertiginous. The wall projecting itself back and back into an endless dark. He stands on a pinnacle of emerald stone, carved with nymphs, nymphs and geometric signs above an ocean full of shadow. I mean, it it just seems to be pretty straightforward. What we already have read about Kyriakos. Like, I don't, I don't see more insights into him there. Okay. Says, South. South.
1: Aksumite saint.
0: Is yep. Ethiopian, dark yep. skin. He walks through a burning city on his shoulders, ride a boy and girl in his belt is tucked a painter's brush. Yes. We haven't met him yet. Although there was a brief mention of an Ethiopian painter in Kyriakos' chapter, the guy who painted the painting Nomon that he bought. Ah, And also Uh. did the art design for Witnessed. For the game. game. Oh, 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 oh. Right, right, right. Okay. So, yeah, that's where we stand now. Excited to have brought you through that chapter. Yeah. In your recap, you just decided
1: to gloss over the fact that there's like five mentioned at the
0: end of this chapter. I figured you picked it up. (laughs) (laughs) So... It is Ugh. it is it is important. That is that is worth going back to because he's the fir- called- okay. So
1: the first gnomon in this chapter seemed to be the most important because then they started just listing off other gnomons. But the first one was the thousand-eyed gnomon or something.
0: Yeah, they it it might be the same guy who they're referring uh, the same gnomon who they're referring to by different. Oh, it's just as many titles. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Gnomon of the thousand eyes, crab wise gnomon that is the thumb. Noman of the thousand eyes that cannot be contained, and these were the judges of mankind. So, what else has been described as being made of eyes? Is yeah. the witness, but also the jailer on the west. Right. Yes. Crabwise no Noman, the, that is the, the thumb. thumb. The others of the Janaya do not trust, even Noman so swore, it, and that was all. Okay,
1: so was you talking about five fingers on a hand? was that pulled from the book or are you just talking about other fives?
0: Uh, that was pulled from the book. Okay. yeah, so if you're calling it the thumb, you could read that as it being the fifth of the of five. That's a good point. I didn't pull that out before. He is also the thumb is what makes us human. <laughs> yeah. Also, if you remember the chamber, we talked about the four cardinals. But there were five cardinals yeah, in the book. The five, five cardinals, capital C,
1: yeah. versus the four cardinal directions in, right. within the egg. Because one could
0: argue that the alkahest that you make will be your fifth. Perhaps. It is yeah. the fifth element. <laughs> <laughs> There's also, this is jumping with in with a head knowledge, but I don't care. There's also, because you, so you enter the chamber from the bottom, right? Yes. And it's a cube shape. No, it's not. It's an egg, well, shape. It's an egg shape. But it's got four cardinal there's four directions. four walls on the inside. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, there are four cardinal directions on the inside, which means there's one more face to the thing looking straight up. The last description of Nomon said, "Laughing, Nomon was wise and spoke not the name of Firespine."
1: We haven't talked about. We don't know who Firespine is.
0: We haven't talked about. I think there actually might have been extremely passing mention of the word Firespine at the very, very beginning. Or were they talking about the Fire Judges?
1: Um, also, I'm going to need you to send me that puzzle at the beginning. Yeah, absolutely. So. Are you saying so you haven't figured out the puzzle or I haven't, the I internet haven't started hasn't
0: figured it out? The internet hasn't published it. The author has said that at least a few people have figured it out. And it's so it's on it's the internet. It's solvable. I'm still working on it as well. I got Yedidia to uh, Actually, I told him at one point, I was like, hey, I'm like 50 pages away from finishing this book. So if you start now, we'll probably finish at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> and he picked it up and read it. And so we're going to be going through the the puzzle as well. And perhaps at the very end of this series, I'll have him on to guest appearance and we can we can all discuss the book together. All right. Well, Awesome. awesome.
1: That wasn't as intense as you made it sound.
0: Uh, I t- a couple hours ago. <laughs> I wrote. I mean, I I literally wrote every word of that script out in order to keep myself from from going too long, and I talked really fast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It is interesting. I
1: appreciate. So, okay, since we're spreading these chapters out over multiple weeks yeah it's helpful to have you be like and you'll remember you know back it was this was mentioned in the previous because my notes are very sparse yeah i mean <laughs> uh, yeah so it's it's ne- it's nice having you be like which was also in you know chapter two with Constantine, this is uh, my notes from Constantine's flashback are very, I underestimated how many things I'm going to have to take a note on <laughs>
0: <laughs> I'm going over that flashback. <laughs> I mean, I kind of, I wish that I had a guide like this when I wrote this, uh, when I read this book, you know, mm. because there is such like a dense web of symbols. And so much of what I enjoyed about this book is just thinking about it while I was reading it. And be like, so why does this connect to that? And what does that mean? What is this symbol leading towards? Why is this theme keep popping up here? And so on. Mm -hmm. Like, that was one of my favorite parts of the book is just puzzling over it. I wanted to use these episodes as a sort of guide. You know, if somebody's reading this along, this book along with the episodes, they'll find this as a good, like, recap of each Mm -hmm. chapter and also reminder of, you know, the important symbols and themes and a running discussion and dialogue of of how they tie together and so on. Absolutely. Cool. And how many chapters is this book? I remember you saying... (sighs) I forget how many chapters exactly. I can look it up for next time, but we are on page 162. So we've got 500 pages left. Okay. Okay. Because I feel like... I remember something around twenty chapters. That sounds about right. It's there are a lot of very small chapters towards the end, mm. so the series will be going for a little while longer. I have my Just a little bit. <laughs> I have my a very healthy, lengthy respite from nineteen ninety eight. <laughs> yeah, this is, yeah, yeah. We're going to be finishing out the year of our podcast with. Nomon. <laughs> People are like, did Steve used to talk about comics on this podcast? No. <laughs> He's always been talking about this stupid book, <laughs> Nomon.
1: Yeah. So next week we'll be going over the next chapter of Nomon.
0: Next you. week I've got another chapter of Nomon and it's not as long as this, so I might I might talk about a little bit of comics. Next chapter is only about 15-20 pages. <laughs> For me,
1: for my personal collection' sake, I want to read four books a week. So I know I'm going to be doing Immortal Hulk, and then yes. I've got I've got Black Cat. Uh, Sweet. After that, and then I have the second volume of Arrow. <laughs> <laughs> you sound so excited! I'm so excited. However, comma <laughs> I am excited about the fourth book. So I hope I do go to it. Uh, it's the next Avengers book called The Age of Conshu, which okay. dives into Moon Knight, obviously. Yeah. And you can tell by the cover, and I'm showing <laughs> it on, on the camera so people know. But Moon Knight is my third favorite comic book hero behind Spider-Man and Iceman. And so I'm very excited. I didn't know
0: Iceman was up there.
1: In the frame of my life, it's only been like the last third of my life. I've always really liked him. He's always been a lot of fun. But then Iceman in Wolverine
0: and the the X-Men is what got me. You know, sometime when we don't feel like reading comics, we should do an episode where we both talk about our top 10 or top five comics, either heroes or villains or characters or just... You know, ranking. I, I'm going to have to find my fifth. I ord- know my
1: four. My top
0: four are easy. I have to find my fifth. <laughs> The ordinal rankings aren't so much uh, as interesting to me as just the opportunity to talk about your favorite stuff. Absolutely, that'd be fun. We should do that maybe like a New Year's podcast. Oh yeah, that could be fun. Yeah, or just before then if if there's a week where (laughs) we don't feel like prepping other things.
1: (laughs) Right, and and because it's funny because I was gonna say maybe that'll be a busy week because we won't have so we'll we'll have less to talk about. But the week of Christmas, I always go visit the in laws. Yeah. That's a lot of comic book reading. Because <laughs> so, it's traveling, right? So I'm right. gonna have a crap ton to shotgun through on that next podcast. <laughs> um but yeah, anyway, uh that would be a lot of fun to talk about. I'm excited about konshu and and talking about moon night next week, hopefully. Yes. If not, then the week after. But yeah, and it's it's Oh, it's going to be good times. I think next week is going to be fun.
0: Awesome. Yeah, I've I've got just the next chapter. of No one. <laughs> <laughs> yep, and I know you're excited. And then I'll yeah. have my new
1: setup next week. I'm super excited yeah. about that. If any of you guys want to be friends with me on Facebook, feel free to go and add me and tell me that you came from... The uh, hype podcast because that's the only way I'm gonna accept someone I don't know. Um, <laughs> but uh, I will have pictures going up. I'm gonna take a picture of everything in
0: the boxes and I'm gonna take a picture of the setup. And I'm so excited! It's gonna be great. Also, um, you've got your Twitch stream starting up soon. Twitch stream will be starting. Plug up. that again. twitchtv slash Silver with silver a y.
1: Dreamer. Silver with a y.
0: Um,
1: that is my Instagram as my Twitch. That is my
0: Xbox Live gamer tag. <laughs> Go and find me. So by the time uh, next week, yeah, I'll by have... the time this uh, episode goes live, you might already have had your first stream. Yes, and so that's why I was thinking that I was going to plug it a little bit harder next week. Because
1: I'm gonna get a good stream done, get a good feel of what, of of how how it all goes. Okay, and then um, and then I'll be able to plug it with confidence. Sure. So <laughs> so soft
0: launch here. The real heads, yes. the real heads will come check you out. Yeah, the absolutely. ones who make it to the very end of you know this episode. Yeah. <laughs>
1: um, but yeah, so excited for the next week. Changes in my personal life, books to read for the pod, Twitch, all this other good stuff. It's it's gonna be good. It's gonna be good.
0: Hell yeah. Yeah, I'm excited. Mom's coming to visit. (gasps)
1: Ooh, yay! Yeah. Oh, I'll tell her I said hi. I hope she has safe travels. When's she heading out?
0: Uh, heading, she, heading to you? next Saturday. It's so almost cool. a week from today. That's exciting. So, yeah, that might affect our recording schedule.
1: Well, yeah, we'll we'll talk after. It's yeah. fine. <laughs> anyway, but so with all that said, um, I guess we should probably put the outro music oh. here. Yes. 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 Well, good, man. <laughs> um, we'll to around
0: and we uh, yeah, you got to do something <laughs> <laughs> alright take
1: care
0: of yourself take care bye